Welcome once again, everybody, to MetroCrest. We're, we're thrilled to have you here with us today. Uh, we've got so much to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. Uh, we're also going to celebrate a wonderful truth in the Christian life, which um, I hope that we can grab hold to more and more and more. I'm, I'm praying for myself, my family, and our church, our nation, our world, that we would grab hold to what we're going to be thinking about this morning. Because if we do, it will change everything. Uh, let me get you to open the Bible, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 25 through verse 34. You'll find it uh, in the Pew Bible, page 811. It's at the bottom of the page on the second column. You'll also find it in the bulletin on page 9. If you would please stand. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would please send your spirit upon us this morning, that you would please open our ears and our hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might truly hear your word, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. There was a book published a couple of years ago called The Anxiety Epidemic. It was published by a man named Graham Davey. He's a professor of psychology in uh, England. And he wrote these words. He says, the way that anxiety manifests itself has not really changed over the centuries. And we're still plagued by the same forms of anxiety disorders our ancient ancestors. But the things that trigger our anxiety have certainly changed. We only need look round to see anxieties in the family home, the workplace, on social media, and especially in the news. It's true that everyone feels anxious at some time in their lives, but we're told we're all feeling more anxious than we've ever been before. 
and for longer than we've ever done before. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I understand what he's talking about. It does feel as though the problems in many ways are the, are the same, but the level of anxiety, the level of worry, concern, fear even, seems to be amplifying um, the Lord in the parable we're going to look at, not the parable, the teaching that we're going to look at this morning, uh, has a lot to say about anxiety. And he begins by illustrating it in some very simple ways, some very down-to-earth, common-sense ways that people in his day and our day experience anxiety. But that's not to say that's the only way anxiety manifests itself, the only situations that call it, cause anxiety. Uh, those are culturally shaped and historically defined and uh, the, the point is anxiety is real today just as it was real in Jesus's day and it's good to look around and, and realize those triggers those things that may be grounded in the kind of down-to-earth common sense things Jesus is talking about but which we experience in our own way today. Uh, a philosopher a couple of centuries ago, named Soren Kierkegaard was writing about the idea of anxiety. He wrote a book called The Concept of Anxiety. And in this book, he made the point that um, anxiety is sometimes amplified by freedom, by choices. And that also makes sense to me. In our day, in our age today, um, sometimes it's not always what do I do if I don't have enough food? That's a very real problem today in our country, in our community. That's a reality. But it's also true that anxiety can be caused by so many choices. What will we go to the grocery store and get? There are a hundred different kinds of cereal. There are dozens of kinds of toothpaste. Which restaurant will we go to? There are dozens and dozens of options in my neighborhood. I, met, I bet you... There are options in your neighborhood as well. And Kierkegaard talks about, about this idea of, of uh, the anxiety of the possibility of possibilities. And he even gives the illustration of a man sort of standing on a cliff, overwhelmed with the, the number of options uh, at, at his disposal. So whether our anxiety comes from not having enough food or anxiety comes from having so many options we don't know what to do, Jesus comes to us and he, he brings us this word that we are wise to pay attention to. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Jesus talks about freedom from anxiety. Whatever our anxiety may be based in, Jesus comes to us here in the Sermon on the Mount at the conclusion of a significant section in the sermon. He comes to us and he gives us this word about a freedom from anxiety. And I got to tell you, just the title itself is like a, a, a big relief to me to think about Jesus bringing words about the reality of anxiety to sinners like you and me. So let's look at what Jesus has to say. He starts off directly in verse 25. Jesus says to his disciples gathered there with him as he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus 
brings us this word about anxiety and, a, and the possibility of being freed from it. And as I said, he, he defines it in some very simple ways. What you will drink, what you will eat, about your life, um, about what you will put on. These very basic things that may express themselves in infinite varieties, whether it's too little or too much. All these things are the sources of anxiety. And so Jesus defines it in down-to-earth terms that wound up being pretty much all-inclusive. Your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Now, one thing that's very striking to me about that is it is a command. It's not advice. It's not wishful thinking. Jesus says, do not be anxious in the same voice in Greek that he uses to say, when you pray, pray like this. When he talks about uh, giving, when he talks about praying, when he talks about fasting, uh, he brings words of authority. That's what Jesus did. He was, he was the king. Come among his people. Come into his world. And so when he says, do not be anxious about your life, what he's actually bringing to us is a word of, of divine command. Don't be anxious. Now, I do want to think about all the implications of that, but let's, let's take in what the Lord says. Do not be anxious. And you may notice he says it a couple of times. He says it in verse 34, summing up again this whole passage. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious, he says. He commands his disciples. And he gives us a couple of illustrations. Uh, he's, he's going to help us know about freedom from anxiety, but he gives us a couple of illustrations drawn from nature to help us understand the kinds of things he's talking about. And again, he's, he chooses illustrations that are so simple I could use them to teach my grandchildren. Simple illustrations. Look at verse 26. He gives the illustration of the birds. I, I love birds. All my grandkids now love birds, so we love to look at birds. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Verse 26. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. He gives them as an illustration of, of the reality of nature, this, this um, divine providential ordering of things in that even the littlest birds... God is providing for them. Now, he's not talking about the exceptions. There are such things as sick birds. There are birds that get hit by trucks. Uh, but he's, he's describing the basic nature, natural balance that God providentially has provided for the birds. And most birds, if you have a neighborhood like mine, I watch birds a lot out my windows, and most birds, they find food. And Jesus' point is, the food they find has been provided by God. In all the providential ways that nature is organized, even in a city like Carrollton and Dallas and Richardson, God has providentially provided for the birds. And he gives, Jesus gives them as his first example. He gives another example from nature. Look at verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Um, 
we have among us a few people with green thumbs. I'm looking at you, Barb Fowler. Uh, Barb is planting beautiful flowers and rearranging the beautiful gardens there at their home and, and has been working in the yard, making it beautiful. She also comes up here and works many hours uh, to beautify our uh, grounds here at Metrocrest. Flowers are beautiful. They bring color. They, they bring such uh, diversity into our lives. And I don't have a green thumb, but I, I appreciate those who do. And, and I can certainly look around and see the beauty of flowers. Well, Jesus takes that very simple illustration to talk about if you look at that flower, a lily of the field, that, that was a, perhaps a generic word for flowers, not necessarily a specific kind of flower, but it was a, a, a common enough flower that Jesus uses this as an illustration. And he says, look at those flowers. Look at how beautiful they are. Look at how they are so beautiful. More beautiful than choosing a king from Israel's history, Solomon, the, the, the great king of, who had such wealth. And, and uh, Jesus says, look at that flower, and it is more beautifully arrayed than the great king of Israel who was known for his wealth and the beauty of his riches. So Jesus chooses these two very simple examples drawn from nature to say, you see how God has providentially prepared for the birds, how he has providentially prepared for flowers and, and the beauty of nature. Well, now Jesus says, God is like that with us. In fact, he says even more wonderfully, because he says, aren't we of more value than they? And, you know, uh, the answer to that question is yes. Uh, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who made us and how and what in our being we represent. We, we are, God made us to be his image. And so our value comes not because we've done something very special. In fact, we've messed everything up. But because God has done something very special. In his goodness as the pinnacle of creation, he created man and woman. And we bear his mark. We, we bear his likeness. And because of that, yes, yes, there is an important sense in which as human beings made in the image of God, you and I have almost infinite value to God. He made us. So drawing from nature, Jesus says, to his disciples, do not be anxious. He commands them, do not be anxious. And he gives these illustrations to help us begin to get our minds around why and how. Let's think a bit more about there. If you notice, verse 25, and again in verse 34, the verses begin with the word, therefore. In other words, what Jesus is saying about anxiety and his command not to be anxious is intimately, logically connected to everything else he's been saying. Uh, what he had to say about 
giving and praying and fasting, what he had to say about the wonders of, of the way God works in the community of faith, drawing us to greater godliness, and at the same time humbling us to know that our righteousness is ultimately in Christ. All of that is pointing towards why we should not be anxious. In fact, why it's so important for us not to be anxious. I have often heard it said, when you see the word therefore in Scripture, ask why is it therefore? What's it there for? So let's think about it. What is the connection between everything else Jesus has had to say? Well, Jesus wants us to know, in the midst of all of our anxieties, in the midst of all the struggles, in fact, if you look across the page over at chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus talks about persecution and enduring all kinds of evil things being said falsely in the midst of people reviling his disciples and experiencing hardship, he's talking not only to to people like you and me sitting here without fear in in church today, but he's he's speaking to those who who are suffering with him. Jesus speaks to them, and and he wants us to know that the reason we should not be anxious is because of Two words in English, the Father. The Father. You know, Jesus had a characteristic way of talking about God. And it was utterly unique. A scholar did a study of this in Jewish literature. There were no zero examples of a Jewish prophet or a Jewish writer of a biblical book or even a a well-known Jewish rabbi about God the Father. There were talks, there were references to God being a little bit like a father in different situations, but there were no references to God as Father. We're doing the book of Job in the adult uh, Sunday school. I, I cannot tell you how much I'm enjoying it. Will, you were doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Um, here we are reading this monument to an Old Testament saint who has so much to say about God, not once does Job say a reference to the God whom he trusts as Father. Because it was up to Jesus who came into the world to teach us that the God whom Job worshipped, the God whom we worship, is now, in Christ, our Father. That's what he teaches us to pray, isn't it? Verse 9, pray then like this. First two words, our Father. In in Greek, it's actually the first word is Father. Father. There is the reason why not only should we not be anxious, but actually it's important for us not to be anxious. It's, It's something Jesus commands us to live into. It's it's part of his relationship which he shares with us. How? Well, he tells us the Jesus came preaching repentance and the and the uh, kingdom of heaven, and he goes on to show that the way the kingdom of heaven is accessed is by turning to him, trusting in him, leaning on him, 
It's exactly what he tells the disciples to do. Follow me. And so Jesus points out that we now have a relationship to God like his own, which is summed up in human understanding, human terms, as father. God is our father. And brothers and sisters, because we're, we have one father, brothers and sisters, you and I are set free ultimately from anxiety because of who God is. And our relationship with him through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we just got back from, uh, or I just got back, Brian and I, are, we're the two lonely guys sitting here at church today uh, looking far too well rested uh, because our wives are off looking after the kids today and the grandkids today. Um, but it's great fun. We enjoyed going down to Houston to see Bonnie for her first birthday. That was a great joy. I do not take that for granted. What a what a blessing that was to be able to be there with her. And you know, one of the one of the best things about being a, being a grandparent, some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about, is watching your own kids grow up and become parents. It is a special joy to look at your kids and see them being parents. And yesterday was full of that for me because here was my oldest son, William, uh, who was being a dad (laughs) for his little one-year-old Bonnie. And let me tell you, uh, most of the time, Bonnie was in William's arms. His mommy was very much there, very busy getting ready for the party. Uh, So William had lots of Bonnie time. And so William... My son, we call him uh, William, others call him Will, was walking around holding his precious Bonnie. And the love in his eyes and the, 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 the commitment to her was, was almost palpable. And, of course, there were lots of times she was running around on her own. But let me tell you, my son Will never took his eyes off of Bonnie, wherever she went, whatever she was doing. And... If you've been blessed to be a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Perhaps you've had that kind of parent in your life, a parent who, a a father, a mother, who loved you, was devoted to you. Maybe you, you didn't have that experience, but you've read about it, and you know what it looks like, and you know, that's what I want. That's what it's supposed to be. Well, Jesus takes that very human relationship, specifically the father, the father. He chooses that specific relationship Because it was his own relationship with God. And because that is the relationship which sums up our relationship now through Christ by the Spirit. God is now our Father. And if you read this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and count the number of references to the Father. The Father who sees in secret. The the Father to whom we pray. Uh, over and over again, the, the Father who, who rewards us, even for our tiniest baby steps of Christian obedience and growth, even when we stumble, we are shown again and again and again, the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father. And brothers and sisters, that's why you and I can face the crazy world where we live with all the anxieties and all the uncertainties, all the things that make us fearful, all of that stuff, we can look at those things and we don't deny them. We don't pretend like they don't matter. We don't pretend like they don't hurt. 
But we can look at those things through the lens of Jesus. Because Jesus tells us, through him, God is now our Father too. And that includes when we're suffering, when we're facing illness, financial hardship, when we're facing uncertainties, when we're facing persecution. That's the group Jesus is talking to. Those who would with him suffer persecution. Like them, we can put our hope, our trust in our Father. And that really sums up so far what Jesus has been teaching us about every aspect of the Christian life. It draws us to the Father, to trust through Jesus in the Father. Uh, J.R. Packer is one of my favorite writers. I, I can't remember if I quoted this earlier because Father has come up so often, but I uh, bumped into it again and I just want to share it. Dr. Packer says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And I think the fact is most of us don't understand Christianity very well at all. I think it is, a, it is a growing edge for all of us. It's a growing edge for me. I've been reminded this week, reading through this passage, thinking, praying about this passage, I've been reminded this week what an amazing truth it is that God is a father to us in a way infinitely better than any human father. In a sinless, perfect all-powerful way. Our God looks after us and tends after us like the perfect Father. That means, by the way, He does not overindulge us. He does not overindulge us. He doesn't, he doesn't deny the mistakes we make. He, in fact, does something infinitely better than that. He works through our mistakes. He works through the times when we stumble, when we learn how much we need him to hold us up, when we learn how important it is for us to trust in his strength and not our own. He allows us to learn that, not because he hates us or he's indifferent, but because he truly loves us. I mentioned Job a minute ago. Job is a great example. Let me tell you, at the heart of the book of Job is not a transaction. Right? We've learned that over and over again. This is not a book about a transaction. Slot machine theology. All of us, many of us have that in our heads. Sometimes based on false or mistaken understanding of, of different isolated proof texts. But Job underscores the fact that that's not how God deals with us. The center is not a transaction. The center is a relationship. So the, the thing we see in Job... He, makes, he says a lot of boneheaded things, right? If you were in the class, you've been bumping into some of the things Job says. He, he did not have perfect understanding. But you know what was at the heart of Job's walk with God? It was this trust. He just kind of leaned on God and he trusted him. He had moments of doubt. He had moments of fear and anxiety. He called out to God. He argues with God. 
It is not wrong to wrestle with God. That's how Israel got its name. Israel means wrestles with God. Wrestling with God is actually trusting a relationship enough to ask the hard questions. Well, Jesus wants us to know that we can have freedom from anxiety, whether it's something as simple as what are we going to eat, how will we feed ourselves, how will we uh, have a place, what will we wear, all those simple decisions, or whether it's the Downton Abbey problem of what do I wear as in I've got so much to choose from that's the that's the way of life for many of us is what we have so many options well whatever your anxiety is we can bring it to Jesus and lay it at his feet and we can trust him and Job is a great example but you know who the, the perfect example is Jesus himself because the rest of Matthew's gospel is going to be Jesus living out what he tells his disciples to do. And it's, it's not in the context of too many options. It's in the context of suffering and death. Now I do want to touch on one thing very, very important. Um, Susan uh, Smith is here with us today. Susan introduced me to a wonderful writer named uh, Pierce Taylor Hibbs. Uh, Pierce has a diagnosis of anxiety. Uh, that is a thing. Will's mentioned he wrestles with anxiety. Lots of us wrestle with anxiety. Anxiety is a thing. And uh, so he, he said, he wrote an article called The Number One Question I Get Asked About Anxiety. You know what the number one question is? Is it a sin? Is it a sin? This is a man who writes books about anxiety. He says that the number one question he's asked is whether or not anxiety is a sin. And I, I love his answer. And he, he, he answers it by going to this verse, or th this, uh, uh, this and parallel passages where Jesus tells us, do not be anxious. He goes to those passages and he says, it's a matter of how you read the verse. All right? He says, option number one, here are two common options. Option number one, do not fear or be anxious equals, quote, stop it. Stop feeling afraid, exclamation point. Just stop, exclamation point, close quote. I think that's the way some of us can read a command from the Lord. We can read it as he's shouting it at us. He's really mad at us. Stop it. Here's option number two. Do not fear or be anxious equals, quote, don't be afraid little one it's okay I'm with you I know you still feel afraid but I'm encouraging and comforting you with my own presence it will be okay because I'm here that's what Jesus is saying He's not yelling at us. In love, he's almost whispering to us. Don't be afraid. Lean on my Father. Trust in me. Walk with me. That's the command, which is also an invitation. 
an invitation that, that I want to grab hold to. I want my kids, my grandkids as they grow up, I want them to grab hold of that command slash invitation to walk with God like that, to walk with him, trusting him, to be the perfect father. That's what I want from me and my family. That's what I want for our church. I want us to be a church that goes forward trusting in Jesus. Whether we have a good day or a bad day, whether we have a big budget or a budget that's having pressures, whether our attendance goes up or our attendance goes down, to walk with the Lord confident in him, trusting in him. Well, this meal we're about to share is just a reminder, another way, a God-given way to remind us of our intimate connection with one another and with the Lord Jesus and through the Lord Jesus, our connection with the Father in heaven. Whatever brings you here today, whatever your anxieties may be, and I know looking around the room there are people going through enormous challenges at this very moment. I know that. But I want to invite all of us as we come forward to know that the one in whose name we gather, the one who instituted this meal, loves us and knows us and still loves us and wants us to be in a relationship with him and with his Father. 